Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Hillary. And this is the Probably Not Lupus podcast. Season two, we are back to discuss more medical mysteries and rare, strange, or unusual case studies. These are based on mostly true stories collected from our friends, medical history, journals, and fellow doctors. To protect privacy, names, dates, and locations may have been altered. Get ready for your medical mystery bolus. Probably Not Lupus is a show about our favorite medical mysteries. Nothing the hosts say should be taken for medical advice or opinion. We are not experts, nor are we journalists. It's just for fun. So enjoy. This week's two-part series brings you not one, but two patients. A medical mystery two-for-one special. In part one, a 42-year-old pregnant woman suddenly suffers a stroke and none of her doctors can figure out why. After a battery of tests and images, the doctors are stumped and with her condition quickly deteriorating, they must diagnose her before they lose both mom and baby. Listen now to part one of this week's Probably Not Lupus podcast and then tune in right away to figure out what happened in part two. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Hi, welcome. We're so happy to be back. Yes, you'll recognize Emma's lovely voice. Uh, We thank you again for your understanding last week that the episode couldn't happen. Uh, I'm very happy to see you back, Emma, and I'm glad we got to do this today. I'm thrilled to be here. All right. So because we couldn't make our episode happen last week, we're going to put out two episodes today, both this episode, which is going to be number 15 and number 16 is going to come out at the same time. And they are part of a two part series to engage you once again with rare, strange and unusual cases. Yeah. So thrilled to be back. Um, We have a lot to talk about and I'm excited to get started. Great. You want to do your TikTok part or is that me? Sure. No, that's you. You had one more thing, but it's okay. Did I? What? Where? Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I missed this. <laughs> that's okay. okay. I was just like, uh. Okay. And uh, welcome back, Emma. Uh, how are you doing? T- give us an update. Yeah, doing better. Had a little bit of, a, well, not a little bit. It was a medical emergency last week. Yes, yes. Um, Wednesday night, which is funny enough, the nights we actually record for the following week's episode. So I had to cancel last minute on Hill last week. And then I actually ended totally up Totally in- forgiven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's frustrating for me because I am a woman on my word. And when I make a plan, I make a plan. Um, I keep that. So um, I actually ended up in surgery at like 6 a.m. on Thursday day um but doing better now and um maybe we will discuss it a future episode um there's some things to work through until then but um potential teaser that it might be discussed and I might be the live case study and talk about it well you get yourself better first that's your number one priority 
a number two priority, graduating naturopathic medical school. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <Third> priority. <laughs> having fun on this podcast. (laughs) Yes. And that's exactly what we do. I also wanted to throw a welcome to Hillary for finally joining the 21st century and 2021 as she is now live on TikTok. Yes. Okay. I've never Um, gone live. Whoa. I just have a TikTok Not live, but she has an account and she is scrolling through that algorithm. Um, slightly specific already for her. Um, oddly strange intersections of the internet that I didn't know. I needed served to me within like a day. Yes. And I love that you're on it because now I don't have to save TikToks and text them to you. I can just (laughs) send you them on the app. (laughs) And just like one more question for you, because Mm. your algorithm is quite specific. Is it a bones day? It is a bones day today. (laughs) 100%, but we're not sure about tomorrow. We will wait for the 13 year old pug to tell us. Can't wait. Our case today is a 42-year-old pregnant female, and she is at 20 weeks, and that's a halfway done pregnancy if a pregnancy at full term is 40 weeks, and she is a photographer at a photo shoot, and all of a sudden, as you know, they're setting up to do the photo shoot, she complains that the background lettering in the backdrop is jumbled, like the letters are all jumbled but it quickly becomes obvious that this jumbling is only apparent to her and everyone else can read that background lettering fine. And she recognizes that something is wrong. And if you remember way back from episode two that we did on strokes with honestly an amazing guest, uh, he was a neuroscientist who diagnosed his own stroke in real time. And if you haven't checked out this episode yet, we highly suggest you do that ASAP. In that episode, we first introduced our segment, Annie, Are You Okay?, where we discuss, you know, quick life-saving emergency medicine mnemonics or red flags. So you might remember that there is a quick mnemonic to determine if you or a person may be suffering from a stroke. Emma, do you remember it? I do believe it is fast. That's right. So back to our photographer patient. She also remembered, okay, what's that mnemonic for a stroke? It's fast. Face. So she asked someone to look at her smile and asked if the smile looks okay and even. And he looks kind of concerned and responds with, no, what are you doing? And so she notices that half of her face is drooping. Then she thinks, okay, A, A stands for arms. And she raises up her arms and she realizes that one side is higher than the other. She can't hold up one of her arms. S, okay, that's for speech. And she can tell that she's starting to slur her speech and people around her start to say like, hey, are you okay? You're slurring your words. And then she remembers T is time and that she needs to get to the hospital now. And so like episode two, this is another patient who accurately self-diagnoses a stroke early on. Those around her call 911 and get her where she needs to be. So the patient is transported via ambulance to the nearest hospital and immediately evaluated, even though her symptoms have now resolved. And again, if you remember back from episode two, that episode we did on strokes, Evan, who suffered a stroke at age 35, he too had a super sudden onset of symptoms, which basically resolved by the time he got to the emergency room. Now, you might be wondering, why are we spending so much time on a stroke, seeing as we have already covered that topic in the past? And although this was the patient's presenting symptom, it wasn't actually the root cause of her disease. 
During her intake and her physical exam, she was asked by the doctors about her knowledge and ability to accurately self-diagnose that stroke. You know, not everyone remembers what FAST stands for or has even heard of it, or not everyone like Evan can be a neuroscientist and quickly identify their stroke. And the patient credits her unborn child's biological father, who is a neurologist and taught it to her in case of an emergency. And when questioned further on her phrasing, she informs the doctors that although they are friends, the biological father of her unborn child, they are not a couple. And he is a gay male and he served as a sperm donor for artificial insemination. She also shares that, you know, she's had several miscarriages in the past and she's 42 and she really believes that this is sort of it for her when it comes to having a child and she'll be raising this child on her own. It's been made abundantly clear to the doctors how important this pregnancy and baby mean to her. So in light of all this, we wanted to introduce a little segment for you all called Awareness and Visibility. Uh, As I'm sure you've seen on many social media pages these days, certain days, weeks, or months of the year for a various amount of causes, um, such as Black History Month being in February, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And in fact, also in October, just a couple days ago on October 15th, it is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Day. This day aims to raise awareness for those who have suffered the death of a child either before or after birth. If you want more information, we highly suggest you check out october15.ca, a Canadian website and campaign created by bereaved parents. A little quote from their website. Each year, thousands of families across Canada mourn the death of their babies. In 2017, 1,699 infants died within the first year after their birth and 3,159 babies were stillborn. Parents get isolated in their grief and the stigma around the death of a child prevents society from speaking about the devastating effects on parents and their families. Yeah, you're right. That October15.ca is an excellent website where people can go if they or someone they know is struggling with pregnancy and infant loss. The awareness day was just on October 15th, like you mentioned, but they have resources for you all times of the year. Yeah. And I think just as a friend and a, you know, person in society, I'm sure most of us, especially, you know, around our age group, he'll know someone who has either miscarried or suffered loss in any way. Um, Oh, absolutely. And I think it's just important to remind ourselves to lead with kindness, to be always be there for each other because um, we don't want anyone to have to suffer in silence and um, the support, whether, you know, it's whatever it might be support in any way is always recognized and always appreciated. Definitely. Thanks for bringing that up. Really important. And I'm glad we can put that resource out there just in case. I know this is a heavy topic, but just as a reminder, this is a fictional case. We're not talking about a real person today. So hopefully that helps ease some of your woes. Now on further evaluation of our 42 year old pregnant patient who seemed to recover from her sudden stroke symptoms, more red flags were found as they did a more detailed physical exam. So when asked to raise her arms again, she was able to perform that movement evenly. However, when asked to close her eyes, she displayed pronator drift. And if you don't know what that is, that's basically a fancy physical exam term for when asked to raise your arms out in front of you, palms up and close your eyes. 
And a pronator drift occurs when one forearm and palm turn sort of inward and down. And this can indicate a lesion in the brain on the other side of the hand and arm that's turning in and down. Another thing, when asked to puff out her cheeks and resist the force, you know, you make that puffer fish face, she's unable to keep the air in her mouth. And this indicates that she has weakness on some of those facial muscles. So although she doesn't have the same facial drooping that she first presented with, there still is weakness. Moreover, when the doctors look in the back of her eyes, they note the presence of all these microaneurysms or tiny little hemorrhages or burst blood vessels in those small vessels. And that's indicative of more strokes. And the doctors really start to worry that if they can't figure out the underlying cause of her strokes, it may happen again. Now, although the patient is feeling fine, this last symptom really indicated something more sinister was going on. As if it wasn't serious enough with the strokes, now this patient had blood in their urine. Ooh, that's like the last thing she needs to happen here. Yeah. Now, more tests revealed that her kidneys were failing and toxic waste products were now building up in her blood. So now the doctors are left with this question of what came first, the failing kidneys or the stroke? And maybe more appropriately, what could cause both strokes and failing kidneys? So the team of doctors goes off to run a battery of more images and tests to try and figure out what is going wrong so that they can save this mom and fetus. First, an ultrasound showed no tumors or stones or anything that could explain mom's kidney failure. And the doctors also remember a really important note in her history and her intake. She had reported six prior episodes of strep throat throughout her life. And maybe you've heard of this or experienced it yourself because it's a fairly common condition, strep throat. But an uncommon complication of strep throat is something called rheumatic fever. And although rheumatic fever can attack multiple different systems like your joints and skin, it can also attack the heart valves causing them to calcify or get harder or more stiff. And this can lead to clots that could cause a stroke and potentially damage the kidneys. Next, the doctors order an MRI. And this does show some narrowing in a heart valve that could have led to the clots. But not every doctor on the team agrees. In fact, one of the doctors says the narrowing is very minimal and probably normal for the patient's demographics and really doesn't believe that this minimal narrowing could cause the patient's symptoms. However, another doctor on the team reminds them that this is the only cause they have to explain both her strokes and her failing kidneys. And if they don't fix these things, she will likely need a kidney transplant or perhaps suffer an even more serious stroke. So with informed consent, the patient agrees to opt for surgery to correct this narrowing of her heart valve. Now, this is a very cool surgery because they do it with her awake so that they don't uh, put any extra risk to the fetus. And they take a big, long catheter and they thread it up through a vein in her leg with a mild sedative to her. And they're able to actually go and fix that heart valve that way. So they don't have to like, you know, crack open the chest or put her under general anesthesia. Now, although the surgery was able to correct this minimal narrowing, it ended up not being the root cause of her symptoms because her kidneys did not recover and they continued to deteriorate. Wow. Yeah. Looking pretty bleak at this point. That's extensive. And they have found nothing, nothing to explain it. 
let's take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to chat about some of the differential diagnoses that the team of docs now had to come up with. Welcome back. And let's get back to our patient. We have a 42 year old female who is 20 weeks pregnant and just underwent successful heart surgery, but they still haven't figured out exactly what the cause of her symptoms and stroke are. So they have a whole team of doctors working on her case. Now they have about five different possibilities or differential diagnoses as we call them in medicine. So you've probably, maybe, maybe not heard about preeclampsia, which they originally had ruled out, um, due to normal blood pressure. However, now that they've done some more exams and they found protein in her urine, as well as low numbers of platelets, um, they need to bring this back in and consider it again. So that happens a lot of the times in cases, you'll think you've ruled something out and then you're like, ah, you find more information. Let's go back to a beginning differential. So especially when, like you mentioned, it's a common one. Exactly. Clinically preeclampsia is defined by hypertension or high blood pressure, uh, that is measured on two occasions, four hours apart. It is also defined as proteinuria, which is protein in the urine. And this can be with or without pathological edema. The diagnosis for this is not straightforward. Um, as we can tell, we ruled it out earlier. So generally it affects the kidneys, retina, liver, and brain as like the four main sort of organs and areas. So in about 10 to 20% of women with severe preeclampsia, they can have the following symptoms abbreviated help that stands for hemolysis of red blood cells, elevated liver enzymes and low platelets. So that's a quick summary of preeclampsia, which can potentially lead to seizures, which is eclampsia. And this can be really dangerous for both the mother and the baby. So it's really important that they're watching this carefully um, and running some more tests to see those liver enzymes, watching her blood pressure and that type of thing. So when they first tested for preeclampsia, they ruled it out. However, now that they have found the blood in her urine and the protein, they had to test for it again. And they ultimately ruled it out a second time. Right. The second condition that clinicians had to consider was hyperperfusion, which happens when the fetus is like acts kind of like a parasite as stealing the mother's blood and nutrients. So this is monitored with telemetry, a portable device that pretty much continuously monitors an ECG respiratory rate and oxygen saturations. And they ruled it out because all these things were normal and within the limits. The third thing that doctors had to talk about were infections. So Hillary mentioned previously, uh, strep throat infections that can lead to rheumatic fever. Group A beta hemolytic strep can also put the fetus at higher risk for preterm birth, as well as infections such as bacterial vaginosis, urinary tract infections caused by E. coli or Klebsiella, sexually transmitted infections like chlamydia and gonorrhea, as well as periodontal disease. So these were just involved more blood tests, more screening. Um, it seems like on this patient, they ran a heck of a lot of labs, but mm -hmm. I think they all had importance and they were all indicated here. So ultimately, yeah, they found there was no infections and nothing to worry about here, um, but definitely a good thing to consider as well. 
Okay, so fourth condition they had to talk about was hemolytic uremic syndrome and thrombocytopenic purpura. So these are both multi-system disorders that are clinically very similar diseases. However, in general, the HUS is more common in children and TTP is more common in adults. And despite being very clinically similar, they're very different diseases. And they recognized etiological link between TTP and congenital deficiencies of a certain gene and antibodies formed against that gene. And then they usually see that HUS found in children is usually caused by a shigotoxin from E. coli. So in adults, it's more likely a congenital disorder of a gene versus in kids, it's an infection. Exactly. But they can look very similar. And ultimately, uh, it's due to platelet aggregations or collecting of these platelets in small arteries and vessels. And it, again, like all the other things like preeclampsia and um, other conditions, it can manifest with kidney failure, neurological abnormalities, and fever. So they all have very similar clinical features, but very different causes here. But all of the differentials so far are pregnancy associated. Exactly. And pregnancy associated uh, TTP or HUS um, frequently develops as a complication of preeclampsia. So therapy is similar for both conditions. Like I said, clinically it's very similar. Obviously more investigations here, like a CBC platelet count, blood smears. Here is where coagulation studies can come in, um, as well as looking at the kidneys, which you would have already done. So a lot of the tests apply to many of the conditions, just depending on what they find. And again, they ruled out HUSTTP. And the last thing they have to consider here is a cholesterol embolism. So this was definitely lower on the differential. In general, cholesterol embolisms are happening in men over 60 and this is a 40-year-old woman. Right. So this one is now not pregnancy associated. This has nothing to do with the fact that she's pregnant. Exactly. This is just something to think about because uh, you're trying to find the cause of a stroke. And as you know, atherosclerosis is a really high risk factor for strokes as bits of the plaque can break off from wherever the plaque is in your body and travel up towards your brain, blocking off circulation and blood supply to the brain. So maybe leading to a stroke and then getting stuck in the kidneys and maybe leading to kidney failure. Okay. Exactly. It's all connected. So despite this being a younger woman, it was still important to consider. And they did a vessel ultrasound looking for these plaques and it was ruled out. So the team does all of these important tests and runs several labs and they have found nothing from their five differentials. They have eliminated all the possibilities and they wonder, could the labs be wrong? How can someone be so sick with no identifiable cause? And then there's one doctor who realizes it's not actually mom who is sick. Now, if you want to find out the diagnosis of mom and the outcome of baby, you'll have to tune into our next episode. Part two, episode 16. No, wait. If you want to find out the diagnosis of mom and the outcome of baby, you'll have to tune in to our next episode, which is part two of this series. Episode 16 is the number. Don't worry. We're putting them out at the same time. So you can go listen right now if you want. Just add it to your queue on Spotify and just keep them going. They will make a lot of sense when it's all put together.
Thank you for tuning in again this week. And we apologize again for our absence last week. And we thank you for your understanding and your care and your attention. We will see you shortly in part two. Real quick. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to support our show, you can subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe even give us a rating and leave us a comment. Probably Not Lupus is written, recorded, edited, and produced by us alone, still in our bedrooms. If you want to chat with us, you can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, and Gmail at Probably Not Lupus.